10, verse 21. It, it, editing should be easy. Yeah, I just keep the same verse there the whole time. <laughs> You're welcome, Steph. It's for your, you. Um, Luke 10, verse 21. And I read in Jesus' name. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for how much is there and what Christ is revealing to us. Lord, and I pray that you would bless us now as we come to meditate on this passage. Lord, that we might grow in our relationship with you. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So we got into the discussion, uh, I think, two weeks ago or maybe more about um, Jesus as man. How much did he know? You know, how did that, it was in our Friday night uh, Lenten service or Lenten study. And we were talking about that. How much did Jesus know? Did he, did he, fully, in, did he fully express all of his godhood as he interacted with humanity as a man? Or did he limit himself? And I'll use the same answer that I used then. Well, we don't, we don't fully know. But what we see happening here is we see Jesus actually interacting with the Holy Spirit. And so I thought, you know what, this, this bears thinking about. We should actually take a step back and think about if Jesus is interacting with the Holy Spirit, how should we be interacting with the Holy Spirit? How should we be thinking about that? How should we be pursuing Him? Because indeed the Holy Spirit is a Him, is a person. We talk about that in our profession of faith. You know, who proceeds from the Father and the Son? This is a, the Holy Spirit isn't some power or some force like, you know, a Jedi yeah, that's called the force. Sorry, Katie. Um, <laughs> but the, it's not the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He, he interacts with us. And so Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. And, you know, for those of you who are Greek nerds, that in is the dative in the locative sense. <laughs> that makes sense, right? Well, locative, it means location. So where is Christ? intellectually, spiritually, as he's rejoicing. He is in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is filling him. The Holy Spirit is speaking this out through Christ. And so it's Christ saying it and the Holy Spirit saying it through Christ. And that's the dative in the locative sense. Does that make sense? This is what God is doing. And so as God is interacting with himself, <laughs> I don't know how to say that, um, as God is interacting with himself, as the Holy Spirit is interacting with Jesus, the Holy Spirit is speaking through Jesus, proclaiming this stuff. And so as we interact with the Holy Spirit, there's going to be times when we're just going to be, we're going to feel led to do something or to say something. And what is that? Well, that can be the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's something else. And this is the problem. This is the danger in this. Kevin. So is Jesus by himself at this point, or is he with a group, or? He's, he's with the 72. And so the, seven, this is, the context here is the 72, or the 70 or the 72, depending on your translation, have just come back and they're telling Jesus about all the stuff that happened. You know, when they were out, the Holy Spirit did this stuff through us. We healed the sick, we cast out demons, even demons are subject to our name. 
And so this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And so he's in the group. He's in the crowd. And so I've got to be careful that I don't take us on too much of a rabbit trail. But, well, it's a good question, though. We need to know the context. And so he's not just by himself in silent um, meditation or something. Sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks that way. But sometimes the Holy Spirit also speaks through the crowd. And, or in the crowd, while we're in the group, when we're in the congregation of the righteous, that the Holy Spirit then will speak to an individual. So that was my next part of my thought process, is he actually speaking to the group then at that point? Yep. Yeah, the Holy Spirit is speaking, has led Jesus to say this. And so the problems that, there are problems with this though too. And this is a problem that mystics will run into. They'll feel led to do something that's not biblical. And that goes against the will of God. And so, if we're listening for the Holy Spirit, we need to know some things. One of those things is that God never contradicts himself. Never. Because he is consistent. He is just. He is righteous. And so he can't contradict himself because righteousness doesn't contradict itself. If we're going to be listening to the Holy Spirit and listening to him speak through us and, and speaking then, you know, if you, I was, I've talked to, uh, Lisa's not here, so I'll pick on her. Um, I, yeah, Nathan gives me a thumbs up. You know, she'll, she'll be at Walmart and she'll just feel led to go and talk to someone. Well, what is that? Is that, that? is that the Holy Spirit or is that something else? Well, she goes and she starts talking to this person about Jesus. Probably not Satan wanting Lisa to talk to someone about Jesus, right? Yeah, that doesn't work that way. And so if Lisa was feeling led to walk up to someone and slap them randomly... Unless it was Richard, it probably wouldn't be the Holy Spirit. You know, <laughs> you know that, that wouldn't be the Holy Spirit. Why? Well, because he calls us to be kind and he calls us to be gentle. And, um, and so as we listen for the Holy Spirit to speak to us, we need to make sure that we know the Word of God so that we know, is this stuff biblical or is this not biblical? Because oftentimes the, the mystics, historically they're called mystics, um, they'll listen for the prompting but then they'll put that prompting above scripture i was talking to a lady uh who divorced her husband and she said the reason that she divorced her husband is because she was praying about it and felt a lot of peace about it well her husband hadn't cheated on her her husband hadn't left her her husband hadn't done any of the things that her husband would have needed to do in order to justify a divorce so her prompting superseded scripture and she disobeyed God because she no longer, she was unwilling to submit to scripture. She was only willing to submit to her feelings, her prompting. And so that's why we need to know scripture because if we're going to be listening for the Holy Spirit and he does speak because we see that happening right here, we need to make sure that this is the Holy Spirit. And it's not just our wants, our desires, our passions. It needs to, it needs to be uh, bounded. It needs to be bounded. And so as Jesus speaks from the Holy Spirit, what's he doing? He's praising the Father. And so he's praising God. He's not even giving credit to himself. He's praising the Father because it's the Father that's doing the working. It's God. He's giving credit to the Lord. And this is important because if I feel guided to give credit to myself, that's not the Holy Spirit. If I feel, if I feel led to take, to take glory, that's not the Holy Spirit. 
But if I feel led to praise God, to rejoice in God, I can have pretty good confidence that that's the Holy Spirit. Because that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to glorify Him. And what does it mean to glorify God? It means to reveal who He really is in this world. To reveal the truth about God. And so as, as Jesus is interacting with the disciples, He is led by the Holy Spirit to rejoice in what God is doing. He's not even giving credit to Himself right now. See how well I've taught you guys. It's like, no, look what God has done for you all. Look at God. And the promptings of the Holy Spirit always draw us to God, whereas the promptings of the evil one will draw us to other people, will draw us to ourselves, or will draw us to circumstances. You know, simply circumstances. Satan draws our eyes down. The Holy Spirit draws our eyes up. Trust God. Rely on God. Look to God. Hope in God. Because he is trustworthy, isn't he? He's reliable. He is faithful. He's the one who guides. And so the Holy Spirit always drives our eyes up. Follow him. Obey him. Trust him. Be obedient to him. Be faithful to him. That's what the Holy Spirit calls us to. Repent back to him. That's what the Holy Spirit's always calling us to do. And so how do you know? Is this prompting of mine? Is this from the Holy Spirit? Well, are you trying to get glory for yourself? If you are, it's not. Would that refer to the, those who have eyes and let them see yeah. yeah, it's the same concept. Those who have eyes to see, let them see. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. You know, look to God. Listen for Him. And this is, the, yeah. And that's where the difference between those who are saved and those who are not. Because they don't have the True. And so we have a couple of times in Scripture where the Holy Spirit speaks through a non-Christian, a non-believer. But that's not the norm. <laughs> and so... Sometimes God, does that mean that God is limited by someone's faith? No, God is not limited, but the non-believer doesn't have any right to claim they're speaking from God. And so if you're not a believer, odds are it's not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. And so, is that what you're, are we on the same page here, Doug? Okay, good. Say, Joe, can I run you down another rabbit hole? Sure. Um, So the mystic that you were just talking about. Can you elaborate a little bit more because I don't have my head wrapped around that. Okay, well, yeah, I, I used the term and I didn't define it. I apologize. So the word mystic both has positive and negative attributes. Um, and so the, the positive attributes, the, the people who will will willfully call themselves mystics are people who listen for the voice of God, direct revelation. You know, is, is does God speak to me? And trying to trying to hear God. So... So you're not talking about a possible or a, a apostle or a disciple at this particular point. Here. No, this this is this is a yeah a group of people. This is how some Christians think about their relationship with God, and it it is biblical that we listen for the voice of God, and He will at times speak directly. Some you know I've I've actually never been um, accused of being a mystic, but as I've, as I've read mystics, I realize I kind I kind of am one. Um, because the Holy Spirit will speak. And he doesn't do it all the time in all the same way. But then the problem that, so sometimes people are called mystics as a derogatory. And the mystics where it's a derogatory is when they are pursuing the voice of personal revelation and neglecting um, neglecting the authoritative revelation. And so if I'm looking for, God, I just want you to tell me that you love me, and I refuse to read my Bible, and accept, you know, John 3.16, 
there's something wrong in my heart. And so if I'm refusing to accept the truth of Scripture in order to get God to say it specifically to me, that's actually my pride. And so oftentimes when someone's called a mystic in derogatory sense, it's someone who thinks that they have some sort of higher revelation or higher relationship with God than everybody else. And that's not, that's not legitimate. So does that make sense? Jim? There are also mystics that aren't tied to the Christian faith. That's true too. Yes, there are mystics that are not tied to the Christian faith. A medium is a type of a mystic. And so a medium is, uh, well, we don't usually wear the, use the word necromancer anymore because that's, you know, got all sorts of different connotations nowadays. Um, but a person that speaks on behalf of the dead. Isn't the Dalai Lama a mystic? The yeah, I don't know if the Dalai Lama is a mystic. I know that in Buddhism there are mystics, which is, they, there are, yeah. And there's groups of Muslims who are mystics as well. And the ones that spin, I don't remember um, what, well, th yeah, that, that almost sounds derogatory, but the one, yeah, the ones, that the, the Shriners, no, not the Shriners, um, <laughs> but there is, a, there is a group of Muslims that are mystics as well, and there's lots of mystics that have gone around throughout history that aren't tied to Christianity, and so proper mysticism then only exists in the Christian faith. Because there's people who try to have a direct revelation from the spiritual world. And the spiritual world is real. And if you seek out the spiritual world, it will respond. And you need to be careful. Because you do not want to play with the spiritual world. Because it is not kind, gracious, and loving. It is malicious, malevolent, and wants to destroy you. Period. And so we seek the mystic world. We seek Christ. We call upon Jesus. We trust the Holy Spirit. We do not just ask and open ourselves up to the spiritual world. We do not do that. That is not good. And so when I'm talking about this, we're praying to Jesus. We're trusting that Jesus responds. Does that make sense? And so don't play with this stuff because the demonic world is real, period. I know we're Westerners, but this stuff is real. And so as Jesus is doing this with the Holy Spirit, what promise do we have about the Holy Spirit? He lives in the believers. So he lives in us. So he has the power and the will to do this in us too. And so this isn't just something that Jesus did because Jesus is now the proper type of human. This is how the proper type of human interacts with God. The Holy Spirit will speak through them. Does it do all of, not in all of Jesus' words are we told that he says this in the Spirit. And so this is a unique time too. So not everything that Jesus does, does he do in this manner. So sometimes the Holy Spirit will prompt you. Sometimes you'll just say something and realize, well, that was the Holy Spirit that just spoke because I don't know where that came from. I was talking to a group of people just the other day and that happened. And a, a, a thought just came and I, I asked it and it was like, oh, that was, that was the right question. Well, that was strange. You know, I, it wasn't like willful or anything. It just came out. Now, oftentimes what comes out is like, oh, Joe, why did you say that? Um, but this time it was the right thing. So I could praise God for that. So as Jesus interacts with the Holy Spirit, he speaks the words of the Holy Spirit. And we're called to do the same thing. But those things need to be bounded. And those are bounded by the word of God. Because the earthly things are not the way by which we come to interact and understand God. I'm going to try to shorten the rest of this. Um, not that I mind the question, but we also have communion today too. 
So, the wise. Who are the wise? Now, not, we're not talking biblical wisdom here because biblical wisdom is understanding how, God, how the world works under God. Worldly wisdom is trying to figure out the patterns of the world apart from God. And so that's how the people of this day and age thought of wisdom. How does the world work? That's why you get the Stoics. That's why you get the Epicureans. That's how you get um, Archimedes. We were talking about Archimedes the other day. I think that was with yeah, it was Sarah. We are talking about Archimedes. And Archimedes was a very wise man. But did that make him a godly man? No. Because if the things of this world lead you back to the things of this world, they're not going to make you godly. If the things of this world lead you to God then they have the capacity to make you godly. So is that wise or knowledgeable? Okay, we'll get to that. <laughs> okay, sorry. No, that's important because knowledge and wisdom are not the same thing. Uh, wisdom within the historical context is focused on the patterns of this world. How does this world work? And if our eyes just stay on the horizontal, how does this world work? It'll never make us godly. It'll make us wise. Not in a godly wisdom because this stuff a godly wisdom is what does this stuff teach me about God? And so, yeah, I'm just going to stop right there. But understanding is that concept of knowledge because you could translate that word also to knowledge. It's not to the wise and the knowledgeable, the wise and the understanding, those who have lots and lots of information because it's not through information either that we attain a relationship with God. If we don't put it into practice, if I don't live out my information about God, it's not going to build my relationship. If, if I knew a lot about Kirsten but never interacted with Kirsten, what sort of relationship would I have with Kirsten? A creepy one. <laughs> limited. It would be limited. And that's what happens when we rely on knowledge. Simply rely on what we know as being our relationship with God. Because I can know a lot about Benny, but if I don't talk with Benny, if I don't spend time with Benny, I can't have a relationship with Benny. I know, I know a lot about Martin Luther, but I don't have much of a relationship with Martin Luther. A, he is dead. B, I never talked with the man. I've never spent time with the man. You know, I know a lot about lots of theologians, but that doesn't give me a relationship with them. We have to put this into practice. And the cool thing about our knowledge of God is that we can live it out. We can practice it, and we're called to. If I know that God hears me and God loves me, so I was talking with someone right before the service and I laughed and made this person uncomfortable because I do that. Um, but it was, it was actually something that God was convicting me of, but at the same time, it's really funny because I was worried that something wasn't going to happen ever within Hosanna. And now I see this stuff playing out. And it's like, why do I doubt God? Why do I doubt God? I know that God loves Hosanna more than I love Hosanna. I know that God wants Hosanna to grow more than I want Hosanna to grow. I know that God is better and wiser and bigger than I am, and yet I doubt God? Really, what's wrong with me? This is silly. Praise God that He works regardless of my faith. He is so big. He is so powerful. He is so wise. He is so good. I should put this stuff into practice. God, thank you. Praise God. So I laughed because it was funny. Like, it's not about me. I'm just pastor. 
God is working in the spiritual world. God is making this stuff happen. Praise God. And so we can put this stuff into practice. The knowledge of God is applicable. And that's how we have the relationship with God. It's hidden from them. God made sure that it's hidden from the ones who are unwilling to apply it. It is hidden from the ones who don't want to live it out. Because you can't get it through this stuff apart from seeking God, apart from living it out. Because if people actually applied the wisdom of the world, they would realize that that stuff, which is actually wisdom, leads them to God. And that everything else doesn't work. All this woke stuff that's going on right now, it's going to fail. If anybody tries to apply it, it breaks down. So that should lead them to the one that doesn't break down. Think about that. But the people who are unwilling to apply it, unwilling to live it out, Jesus is saying it's hidden from them. They will never figure it out. And so if you're at Hosanna, or if you're listening to this just to gain more knowledge and not live it out, the truth of God is going to be hidden from you. Period. Isn't that scary? But if you seek the Holy Spirit and allow these, and for Him to change your life through this stuff, you will grow. Because it is revealed to the humble. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. These apostles of Jesus, they didn't have any earthly fame. They were just, they were apostles of Jesus. And at this point, Jesus wasn't this big, famous speaker. Well, people knew who he was, but there's a lot of doubt and a lot of discussion about him at this point. But what's, what's the truth here? Revealed is passive. And so, does God give this to them as a wage? No. Because then it's earned. This is revealed. This is, well, so revealed is passive for the disciples and it's active for God. God is the one that's bringing this to the people. And so they're not earning this. But as they seek God, what does God do? As you seek God, what does God do? What are we told in the book of James? Draw near to God and he'll consider you. He'll draw near to you. So who's the limiting factor in that relationship? Me. And so what's Jesus saying here? Hey, he's saying the same thing as James. This is God that's working. Can you trust God to seek a deeper relationship? Have you guys ever wanted a bigger re- or a better relationship with someone only to have them kind of pull back from you? I've had that happen. That's not particularly enjoyable. You'll never have to have that. You'll never have to worry about that with God. You'll never draw near to God and God will say, mm, you got to shower first. <laughs> that's actually, that never, I don't think that's ever been said to me. But, <laughs> but it's God who's doing this. It's God who's pushing this. This is what God wants in your life. He wants a better relationship with you. Period. I can say that right now. That's what communion's all about. It's about God having a better relationship with you. That's what Easter's all about too. All of these things. It's God seeking you. Isn't that amazing? God wants you just the way you are and in spite of the way you are. Praise God. Little children, you don't, you don't want to bring anything to God. You know, like, what, what does Anton have that he could give to me? What material thing? Nothing. They're children. But the cool thing about children is, remarkably, they trust people. 
And so these little children, these trusting ones. So what do we do? We trust God. You know, it's, it's, I'm slowly training my children to not trust me. As I make jokes, you know, you, you need to do this. And they're like, no, Daddy, we don't do that. I'm like, oh, okay, now you're right. But as children of God, when he speaks, we shouldn't say, oh, God, you, you're not really telling me to do that. Like, no, God says to seek him. Seek my face. Your face, O Lord, will I seek. So David says in the book of Psalms, this is what God wants of us. He says, come to me. Oh, you don't really mean that. You, when you say to come to me and repent, uh, what you're really saying is, Joe, you've got to fix this and then you can come to me. No. He's saying, come to me. Trust me. Rely on me. Hope in me. You've got this problem. Well, what do you do with it? You bring it to me. Well, God, what you really mean is that I've got to figure this out so that I know how this should work. And once I know how this should work and have a plan set up, then I can ask you to come and bless my plan. Do any of you guys do that? I'm sure you don't. God says, come to me. Come to me. Trust in me. Because that's what little children do. Soren will bring me the Legos. He won't tell me how to put them back together. He'll just say, Daddy, will he fix this? That's what we're supposed to do to God. God, here's my life. Daddy, will you fix this? I broke it again. Because this is God's gracious will. Why does God reveal it to the one who simply trusts him, seeks him, wants him? Because God is gracious. This is God's gracious. He wants to be gracious to us. This is God's love for us. He's not seeking to teach us how to earn this stuff properly. He just wants, to, just wants us to know his love and his care and his blessing for us. Think about that. This is his gracious will. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to know how much he actually loves you right now in this way. And he's going to put you into hard times so that you can come back to him. I was reading the book of Hosea this morning. And you know why the Israelites went through all of the hard times that they went through? Because God wanted them to come back to him. And when you are broken, you will come back to me, he says. And so we can just sidestep that and come to him. And then when we're in the hard times, we can rejoice because he's going to bring us through them. Because he is God, and this is his gracious will. He wants us to trust him, to rely on him, to hope in him, to seek him, to listen for his voice. That's it. Isn't that amazing? This is God. This is God. You want to know if that God image that you have in your mind is true? Compare it to this verse. Is God just some far-off guy that's, you know, when I die, I'm going to go and meet him and he's going to tell me all the things that I messed up on in my life? No. Jesus lived in the Holy Spirit. We're called to as well. We're given this promise. Holy Spirit spoke to and through Jesus. That's, that's what he does to us. We're not called to seek him as some foreign thing, but rather to, to live out the truths that he's given us. They're not given to us just so that we can know more about mathematics. Mathematics is cool. It is, believe it or not. But it's not an end. Knowledge of God is amazing. It's interesting. But it's not an end. We're called to live it out. If I can do calculus but can't balance my checkbook, that calculus doesn't do me any good. 
We're called to live it out, to use it, to practice it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we're called to live it out. Lord, I thank you that you call me to that because otherwise I'd probably forget. Lord, and so this is your gracious will. I thank you. Thank you that you are so patient with me and with us. Lord, that you are so good. You're so, you're such a blessing. Lord, you yourself. Thank you that we can know you and we can live with you. We can walk with you. Blessed be your name, Father. Let us hope in you and trust you. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.